Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard. As a nature photographer, I spend a lot of my time walking in the woods looking for my next image. A lot of different things capture my eye. Colors, patterns, deliberate or random motion. For example, yesterday, a tiny movement caught my eye, the kind that might be made by the slightest puff of breeze, a breeze so slight that it wouldn't even register on the skin. But I saw it. It was caused by a garden slug, barely an inch long, dining on a tiny mushroom about the size of a thumbtack. As I set up my gear to photograph the feast, I found myself lying on my belly at eye level with the slug. What really drew my attention, though, were the mosses and the lichens that formed the rich green backdrop of the slug's dining room, a piece of fallen tree trunk that had lodged against a boulder. Over time, it would slowly become part of the forest floor, but for now, it was intact and serving as the foundation for a new generation of mosses, lichens, small ferns, and fungi. I like lichens. I like them so much, in fact, that I own a hefty 10-inch by 11-inch book called Lichens of North America that's almost 3 inches thick. I've even read it. Now, lichens are intriguing organisms. They're not standalone plants, but are in fact symbionts, complex living things made up of two organisms that cooperate in a mutually beneficial way. Lichens are the result of a more or less friendly relationship between a fungus called a mycobiont and either green algae or a cyanobacterium, either of which are capable of photosynthesis. That is, they have the ability to create food from sunlight while reducing atmospheric levels of carbon dioxide as they convert it to sugars. Cyanobacteria can also fix or store atmospheric nitrogen, thus complementing the photosynthetic machinery. Water and minerals are absorbed by each symbiotic partner directly from the atmosphere. In most lichens, the fungus partner surrounds the algae, cocooning it in fungal tissue that sometimes penetrates the algal cell walls to form a tighter bond. The fungus is capable of surviving extreme drought and therefore protects the food-creating algae or cyanobacterium within its protective embrace. Lichens grow on a wide variety of surfaces and can take on many different forms. Crustose lichens form a flat crust over the substrate, while foliose lichens look like peeling bark or leaves. There are also filamentous lichens, branched or fruticose lichens, and gelatinous lichens. Some look like orchids, others look like snarled monofilament line. They typically appear on things like gravestones, medieval churches, and stone fences, but they also show up on healthy living trees and modern building foundations. I've even seen them happily growing on derelict car bodies in junkyards. After photographing the slug's midday meal, I took stock of the lichen population around me. They encrusted rock surfaces, the wooden observation platform in front of Mud Pond, and both living and fallen trees. Woodland lichens are often a source of concern for arborists, but contrary to popular belief, they don't damage trees. Even though they encrust the surface, lichens don't directly involve the bark of the trees on which they grow, nor do they take moisture away from the tree in any significant way. Another concern is whether lichens serve as a contagion vector, and the answer is no. They don't appear to offer any kind of a biological conduit for disease agents to enter healthy trees, in spite of the fact, however, many people, including arborists, often believe them to be harmful to the forest. Now, why is this? Well, 
The answer lies in both anecdote and association. When healthy trees begin to decline due to drought, disease, fire, infestation, or other factors, they weaken, a fact that often manifests itself in a less dense forest canopy. The thinner canopy allows more light to reach the forest floor, and lichens, along with other things, begin to grow on various surfaces, including tree bark. Anecdotally, lichen growth causes the tree to decline. Factually, tree decline allows for the proliferation of lichens. The thing is that lichens are something of a biological dichotomy. On the one hand, they're extremely hardy organisms. They grow in the hottest, driest deserts, in arctic climates, on wave-battered rocky coastlines, even in toxic waste dumps, without any ill effect. Two species, in fact, survive the unbelievable rigors of extended exposure to outer space as part of an experiment conducted by the European Space Agency in 2005. During the experiment, two species, Rhizocarpon geographicum and Xantheria elegans, were exposed unprotected to the vacuum of space for 15 days, at which point they were brought back into the capsule and returned to Earth. Upon arrival, they were found to be perfectly healthy, with no apparent damage whatsoever. They can get away with this because they're capable of something called cryptobiosis, a remarkable biological process during which they're dried out to the point that all physiological activity comes to a halt. They stay that way until the lichen is rehydrated, at which point they carry on as if nothing had happened. On the other hand, lichens are to arborists what canaries are to coal miners. In spite of their hardiness, they're quick to respond to changes in their environment and are particularly sensitive to such factors as the presence of heavy metals, depleted levels of atmospheric ozone, and air pollution. When lichens begin to fade, watch out. Forests may follow. Another really interesting thing is the rate of lichen growth and the age to which they can live. They're not only widespread. I mean, there are more than 18,000 species in the world. They're also very long-lived. One example in Greenland has been found to be more than 3,000 years old. And like most lichens, it grows slowly, about a centimeter per century. In fact, lichens' slow growth rates have resulted in the emergence of a new science called lichenometry, used to date the surfaces upon which lichens proliferate. Using a series of photographs over an extended period of time, lichenologists, and yes, that's actually what they're called, can determine the growth rate of a particular lichen. From its size, they can calculate how long it's been growing on the exposed surface. Using this technique, some living lichens have been estimated to be 9,000 years old. Woodlands in general operate as huge cooperative ecosystems in which everything from the largest trees to the smallest microorganisms cooperate to maintain the health of the environment. Lichens are something of a microcosm of the forest. As long as all the parties do their part, the ecosystem operates the way it's designed. But if one party reneges, the whole system goes off kilter. Not only are they diversely beautiful, they're also biological harbingers and should be welcomed as important players in woodland ecology. I'm Steve Shepard. Thank you for listening. <music>